Hey there, just a quick note that this episode originally aired on January 28th of 2021. We'll be back with new episodes of Pulse Check next week. All right, here's the show. Enjoy. I've been reporting on um, risk scores and how various health insurance companies and even just tech companies are amassing a bunch of data they can find in the public domain or even consumer information. You know, something you might have looked at in your Amazon cart that could eventually be thrown into some sort of algorithm that is for some totally different purpose, right? So some data scientists might realize there's a link between really enjoying this show. Oh boy, we're only a couple of weeks into uh, the new year and I still think by the end of this year we're going to be talking about Bridgerton. It's one of the biggest shows. And um, some sort of health consequence somewhere down the line. And so this kind of information that we think of as being separate could actually be roped into some sort of healthcare risk assessment, which is quite scary because there's not a ton of oversight into what goes into those sort of assessments. Wow. Yeah. So I talked to privacy experts who warn, you know, what happens if all this information that you are so gleefully sharing with these apps, <laughs> um, what if that starts to affect your insurance? You know, what if the protections that we have today that prevent um, insurance companies from raising your premium based on things that they know about you, what if that goes away? And so suddenly now that you've shared all this information with the apps about, uh, you know, how little you're working out or, uh, you know, how much you ate that day, what if that starts to infect your insurance? What if your employer finds out that you're trying to have a child? Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of ways in which this goes from being just kind of annoying and creepy and it starts getting into, um, you know, the dangerous or it starts getting into this is actually going to impact my life. And I, I think that the privacy framework we have today is not set up yet to guard against those scenarios, even if those scenarios that I'm talking about are not quite there yet. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think that's what privacy advocates are really warning us about today. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. There is an app for that. Yeah, there's an app for everything. And there's also a lot of personal data you give away when you use those apps. A lot of these apps are routinely sharing information, um, even very sensitive information, um, with marketers. So today I'm in conversation with Mohana Ravindranath. I am an e-health reporter with Politico. Who co-reported a story with Politico's Katie Murphy about the personal health information we routinely give away and why companies are able to just buy and sell it. There's a huge disconnect between the expectations that we have for how our health data is treated by doctors and health plans, things like that, and how consumer tech companies have to treat it. And uh, the regulations for consumer tech companies are totally different, and they are not held to the same standards. So there isn't really a lot that stops those companies from taking the same kind of data that we consider to be so sensitive and, and so private and um, selling it. Wow. It's pretty alarming. Why are millions of women using Flow to understand their body signals better and closely monitor their health? So Flow is one of a, a growing number of apps that is for um, ovulation tracking, menstrual tracking. Flow is a women's health coach right at your fingertips. Generally, the idea is that people will start using it when they are trying to get pregnant, um, but they could use it to track other things too. But these apps are, are generally places where people can store vast amounts of really sensitive information about, you know, their moods and their sexual activity, their ovulation, things like this. And uh, 
I think a lot of people find it very useful because uh, they can they can put all this information in one place. But what we're finding is that the protections for that kind of app um, are not held to the same standard as that information would be uh, in a traditional healthcare system. More than 19 million women in the U.S. have downloaded the Flow app, which tracks menstrual cycles and pregnancies. The Federal Trade Commission's Division of Privacy and Identity Protection went after Flow after it was discovered that the company repeatedly promised to protect women's information and keep it secret. And yet it didn't. I think people have this misunderstanding that just because I'm sharing sensitive information, whoever I'm sharing with has to protect it. Um, and that's not necessarily true. And what we're finding is that a lot of these apps will de-identify some of that data. It's not like they're you know, shouting out to the world, this person is using this app, this person is pregnant, things like this. But they are taking some of that data and, and scrubbing it and then sending it to um, third parties. So let's say an app like Flow identifies that you have been pregnant at some point, then it might tag your ad identifier with, you know, this person has experienced a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And then that ad identifier, while it is not tied to your name, could trigger something downstream that's related to the fact of your pregnancy. Mm. So uh, it's very complicated. And I think a lot of privacy experts are warning that it's not that hard necessarily, A, to re-identify that information, and B, for people to feel really creeped out and, and to feel, um, I don't care if it's not identified. I don't want anything to be tied to the fact of my health status, um, especially in this the sort of marketplace of advertising. So is it possible that, you know, you could have that data showing that you were pregnant at some point, you could go on Facebook or on Google and see an advertisement for something related to pregnancy or related to children? Sure. I wouldn't go as far as to say that it's definitely happening in the case of flow, but that is a phenomenon that has been observed in other instances where data that people shared because they thought it was protected was actually not um, protected in the way that they expected and did lead to uh, advertising related to their health status. So I've got the app store on my phone open. I'm searching health fitness tracker. Um, I'm seeing apps like uh, MyFitnessPal, uh, Nike Running, uh, Calorie Counter things. And I mean, there are just like tons of them out there. I'm curious in your reporting, have you found any sort of data that's collected and bought and sold that's surprising that you would just like never expect to be out there but is? You know, I think one of the things I found surprising, and it wasn't in the context of this story, but I've been reporting on um, risk scores and how various health insurance companies and even just tech companies are amassing a bunch of data they can find in the public domain or even consumer information. Um, so they might be able to find some proxy for your browsing history or some proxy for things that you have bought online and um, start calculating risk scores for how likely are you to fall sick? How likely are you to overdose? Things like this. One of the things that really shocked me was how that information was being used. Of course, it is shocking that these companies can get their hands on information as detailed as what they think your consumer purchasing history is. Um, but then when it starts to bleed into the healthcare system, um, when health insurers are thinking about how to use that information that they can glean from the private sector and even public records can bleed into how they think about you as a patient. But I think it just shows that the privacy framework that we have today that keeps 
whatever you share in the traditional healthcare system separate from, you know, consumer health data and the fact that that is treated like a totally different entity than similar information that you give to, let's say, an Apple or Google or Flow or whatever, um, it's not working. It's not really set up to protect against some of these scenarios that we wouldn't really expect as consumers, right? Like when you share your information with Flow or MyFitnessPal or any of these things, there's an expectation of privacy that is is probably set by what we've seen when it comes to how our doctors or our health plans treat our information. And that's, that's really not reflective of uh, the guardrails that they have today. And this is totally legal, like there isn't some sort of regulatory framework in place that, that does prevent this? So it's a patchwork. I think that's what makes it so complicated for consumers and also for companies as they try to figure out what's the standard to which we hold ourselves. So there are state laws. Um, California has one of the more stringent ones that is sort of held up as an example for what states taking the lead can look like. California's Consumer Privacy Act gives Golden State residents a slew of new rights related to user data. New regulations aim to provide more control over the personal information that companies regularly collect and sell. There are some regulatory agencies at the federal level who have some purview over business practices, but let's take the FTC, for instance. The FTC's authority is mostly focused on guarding against unfair and deceptive practices. And so when it looks into a company like Flow, it's not actually cracking down on Flow because of what it did with the data. It's cracking down because Flow it argues, at least, that Flow was deceptive about what it did with the data. So there is a little bit of what somebody once described to me as legal gymnastics here. As we try to understand what FTC's oversight is here, it's, it's, they have to find a way to couch whatever they're looking at within the context of, is it unfair? Is it deceptive? And uh, what that actually means is that a company is free to do quite a lot of things with the information, as long as they don't tell you that they're not doing that. So they don't have to tell you that they are doing that. In most cases, they don't. Wow. Right. And so that's what's really interesting. As we start thinking about health apps, that becomes very scary. They don't necessarily have to disclose their privacy practices. Um, What they can't do is lie about them. All right. We're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a minute after a message from our sponsor. As a reporter who, you know, is looking into all of this and knows, I don't know, a lot more than I do, I imagine a lot more than most people know about this, does this change the way you feel about the apps you're using on your phone? Like, would you ever use one of these? It's interesting. Um, I do use some of them. Like, I, you know, I track my fitness um, on an Apple Watch, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I am a lot more hesitant to uh, to download some of the more sensitive things the, the apps for which I would have to share more sensitive information. One of the ways in which it became very relevant recently is um, during the pandemic, as I was thinking about exposure notification apps. And um, we've been reporting on how Apple and Google are uh, partnering on this technology that lets you download an app. And it can, if you, if you opt in and if you decide to uh, share your COVID status, um, and it has to go through your healthcare system. But um, if you do that, then then it can ping other people if they have been close enough to you to potentially be exposed, vice versa. And so I've been thinking a lot about this when I decided um, whether I should or should not download the app. And I, I decided to, in the end, um, those companies have said that they have taken great trouble. They've gone to great lengths to uh, de-identify that data, randomize it so that it's not um, tied to your identity and to some extent, as a consumer, we just sort of have to trust 
when companies say they're doing something like that, that they are. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges of this regulatory framework is that companies do have a lot of leeway to do sort of what they want with this kind of information. But Apple and Google did get a lot of praise from the privacy community for being upfront about the methods by which they are trying to randomize and protect that information. And it is designed to be very privacy forward. Um, but these are all things that I had to think about there's no guarantee that just because two companies come along and say, we're going to help out with the pandemic, download this app, there is no guarantee that they will protect your data. So it puts a lot of the onus on the consumer to be aware of the gaps here and recognize that that companies are not held to the same standard as as health systems are. And so that that also means that sometimes it's up to regulators to crack down on these companies because there isn't a lot that a consumer themselves can do to take recourse if they discover that their data is being shared in a way that they didn't expect or that they don't like. Do you think we could see more of a push to to change the rules for these companies and how they can buy and sell data? We're starting to see some activity in Congress uh, to that effect. I think lawmakers are trying to figure out how do you actually create a robust framework that guards against these kinds of practices. There are a couple of sticking points uh, when when Congress has been looking into setting comprehensive privacy legislation. One of them is, do we give consumers this sort of right of action? Do we give consumers the ability to sue sort of on their own behalf? And that's not something that generally consumers have the ability to do in today's privacy regulatory framework, um, which is which is quite distressing to a lot of consumers because um, they sort of have to wait for an FTC or a state AG's office or something to investigate these kinds of issues and then um, you know, hit the company with a settlement or something like this, but there's not a ton that consumers can do. So that, that is one, one main issue. Um, another is this relationship between federal and state privacy laws and this question of whether uh, federal laws should preempt whatever is set by the state. So that's another uh, issue that, that lawmakers have been a little bit held up on as they talk about privacy legislation. But to answer your question more directly, I think uh, as it comes to COVID, I think a lot of lawmakers are starting to focus their attention when it comes to privacy, on technology that is used during the pandemic. So things like the contact tracing app that I was mentioning um, and other public health-focused apps or, or technology that evolves out of the consumer realm. We're seeing a handful of lawmakers introduce legislation that would protect uh, against the misuse of that information, against uh, using that stuff for marketing or advertising and things like this, or against gathering more than the necessary amount of information for the public health goal. So I am expecting we'll see, if not progress in this space, at least I'm expecting to see more conversation about ways that Congress could guard against these things. But I'm also expecting to see more activity at the state level, because I think as we've seen in the case of California, and we've seen other states start to consider this, that I think a lot of uh, places are feeling we can't wait for for Congress, we can't wait for federal privacy legislation because the risks are too high even today. So uh, we are seeing we are seeing states and, and sort of more local activity on this front. We're also seeing private sector sort of collaboration. And even though some of these companies are not held to the same standard as health systems, I think some of them recognize that it's sort of good business to do that, at least to protect people's data. And that, you know, even if they're not legally required to do some of these things, I think they can build trust with consumers if they do protect their data. Um, and if they do uh, assure consumers that their sensitive information is treated with the highest, you know, amount of respect and privacy protections. So we are seeing sort of private sector consortium collaborations um, to set standards, at least in the private sector that are voluntary, of course, but, but that uh, could guard against some of these pitfalls that we're talking about. 
Are there any other countries we can look at for how they're handling this? Because I, I feel like I've, I've seen a lot about how European countries, you know, have cracked down more on, on companies like Facebook and Google when it comes to data, when it comes to, you know, antitrust moves. Are we seeing anything like that when it comes to health data in these apps in Europe? Yeah, so uh, in Europe, they have the more stringent privacy framework, um, GDPR, and we are seeing that there's more um, sort of disclosure of privacy practices and, um, and you know, I think it has limited what companies are able to collect. But I think uh, there was a study that I saw recently from, um, I think it was a Norwegian consumer group that was looking into apps um, and, and concluded that most of the consumer apps they looked at were routinely sharing information with marketers, including Facebook and Google. And one of the things they pointed out in that study is that even though some of these apps were um, were gathering data in Europe that they they still were not complying. And you know, I wouldn't go as far to say that that most apps in Europe are not complying, but but this is just to say that enforcement is difficult. It's not enough just to write the law. You have to make sure that the developers are complying. And then you have to figure out, you know, what can we do? What can consumers do if we find that they're not complying? So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really complicated, multifaceted process uh, that's not just quite as easy as saying this is illegal. I'm curious what your thoughts are on just like how we should be thinking about all of this and sort of the situation we find ourselves in as consumers and as users of apps. Because, I mean, there are some things like, I don't know, like my taste in TV shows or maybe even like my grocery lists that I kind of expect to be shared in some way and like don't care that much. Sure. But why is it different when it's health data and and how should we be thinking about that difference. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about TV preferences, it reminds me of when I was reporting on those um, risk score and kinds of things, because there's data that is as innocuous as that, um, you know, something you might have looked at in your Amazon cart um, that could eventually be thrown into some sort of algorithm that is for some totally different purpose, right? So, you know, some data scientists might realize there's a link between really enjoying this show and, um, you know, some sort of health consequence somewhere down the line. And so this kind of information that we think of as being separate um, could actually be roped into some sort of healthcare uh, risk assessment, which is quite scary because there's not a ton of oversight into what goes into those sort of assessments. So um, so I wouldn't necessarily be so sure that that information um, couldn't be used in a way that you're not expecting, <laughs> and <laughs> um, which is which is kind of, it's kind of scary. Um, but I think Health information is interesting here because um, I think that consumer tech companies are really good at setting up an experience that people like, right? They they specialize in things like user experience and interface, and they set up really fun, gamified ways of doing things. And I think it's very compelling for people because they uh, they want to use the devices that they're already using. They want to incorporate health and wellness into their daily life instead of setting it aside for when they go to the doctor's office. I think that's becoming much more clear during the pandemic as well. And so that means that there is sort of this this bleeding into uh, or this kind of technology is bleeding into our lives, and we are increasingly sharing more and more information about our health and wellness um, with these with these apps. And and often there is a huge return there. Um, like you know, I've used a sleep tracker, and I learned about what uh, works for me and what doesn't. And, you know, tracking my calories and what I eat and things like this can be helpful. It can it can help sort of calm 
my uh, concerns about my my health and I get uh, recommendations and I get, you know, some some of these have social aspects so you can compete with somebody, <laughs> things like this, you know, it's very compelling for people. But, but I think that once we start to realize what the downstream effects are of those things, so advertising is just one example, but um, that's actually probably one of the more benign scenarios I've heard of. And I, I talk to privacy experts who warn, you know, what happens if all this information that you are so gleefully sharing with these apps, <laughs> um, what if that starts to affect your insurance? You know, what if the protections that we have today that prevent um, insurance companies from raising your premium based on things that they know about you um, like that? What if that goes away? And so suddenly, now that you've shared all this information with these apps about, uh, you know, how little you're working out or, uh, you know, how much you ate that day, what if that starts to affect your insurance? What if your employer finds out that you're trying to have a child? Um, there are all kinds of ways in which this starts, this goes from being just kind of annoying and creepy and it starts getting into, um, you know, the dangerous or it starts getting into, this is actually going to impact my life. And I, I think that the privacy framework we have today is not set up yet to guard against those scenarios. Even if those scenarios that I'm talking about are not quite there yet, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think that's what privacy uh, advocates are really warning us about today. All right, that is our show for this week. Big thanks to Mahana Ravindranath for joining me and also to her reporting partner on this story, Politico's Katie Murphy. If you want to follow more of Mahana's coverage of the intersection between health and technology, subscribe to the Future Pulse newsletter, which you can find at politico.com slash newsletters. Also, be sure to subscribe to Pulse Check wherever you get your podcasts. Jenny Alment is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>